So I started noticing that all of these bones are ending up in the public market and people just didn't know what to do with them. Sometimes they couldn't be donated, other times they couldn't be disposed of or repatriated. So it really centered around this problem of what do we do with these bones? That was John Pichia Ferry, the founder of New York City's Bone Museum. And this is Epicenter NYC. We connect our communities to news, information, and each other. I'm your host, Amber Castillo. John Pichea Ferry is on a mission to transform public perception and make osteology, the study of bones, accessible to all. His journey from a curious teenager fascinated by a mouse skeleton to the founder of New York City's first and only bone museum is nothing short of remarkable. From his initial ventures selling human bones out of his dorm room to creating a cultural hub for scientists, artists, and curious minds alike, his story is a testament to follow unconventional passions. Today, journalist Hari Adivarekar sits down with John to find out what it takes to curate a museum of bones in the heart of New York City. They'll also discuss how the museum is about much more than bones. It's about redefining our connection to the human skeleton through the lens of education, design, and ethics. My name is John Pichia Ferry. I was born in Bangkok, Thailand, but moved to the United States when I was 15 years old. I've always had a fascination and curiosity around the uh, bones and the study of osteology uh, and quickly noticed how inaccessible the field was. Uh, So from an early age, I've always made it my goal to make the study of osteology more accessible. And as of two months ago, we have officially opened the Bone Museum, the largest collection of human osteology and human skeletons on display on the East Coast. So what was the inspiration or, or reason? You've kind of alluded to, alluded to it just now, but what is the inspiration or the reason to launch the Bone Museum? Well, you know, previously we were working... Um, Our sale division was working out of a 100-square-foot showroom. Um, We had began opening it up slowly to the public uh, and doing weekly tours. But we we finally realized that our goal, first and foremost, has always been accessibility, transparency, and to really have a conversation about these skeletons and the history surrounding them. And we noticed that in our previous location, we weren't able to really reach the masses and allow the general public to be able to come um, come see the collection – So we finally took that jump to open a physical space. But really, the main purpose is accessibility and transparency around the study of human bones. Could you just tell me a little bit about that and the lead up to even before, you know, this museum was was a thought or an idea or a reality? Yeah, of course. The business really started with a fundamental problem. The problem that we're trying to solve is what do you do with the bones? A little bit of background is from 1920 all the way to 1980, it used to be mandatory for doctors to buy their own skeletal sets. So now a university will have it in their lab, you'll study it while you're in your residency, and then the school will keep the bones. Previously, anyone could buy these skeletons. This ran unchecked for over 100 years. So a lot of these doctors that purchased these bones for medical school, fast forward 60, 80 years later, are beginning to pass away. So I started noticing that all of these bones are ending up in the public market 
and people just didn't know what to do with them. Sometimes they couldn't be donated, other times they couldn't be disposed of or repatriated. So it really centered around this problem of what do we do with these bones? So in our research and in our understanding from talking to anthropologists, working with hospitals, working with universities, we found that the best thing to possibly do at this moment until future technology emerges is to purchase these pieces back from the general public and to sell them to universities, schools, and hospitals. So our goal was to try to find this solution of what to do with these bones. And the best solution at this time is to try to get them back into the educational field. So, so earlier on, it was, it was a business that, that you saw a need and you wanted to fulfill that need. And even before that, you said that you grew up having this kind of this, this interest in osteology and like wanting to I did exactly. know more about it. So how, how, does, how, did that, how did the transition from something that you were obviously very curious and passionate about end up becoming something that you saw as, you know, like, this is what I could do with my life? Yeah, that's a great question. When I was 13 years old, my father gave me a mouse skeleton. And instead of presenting it as creepy, dark, and scary, he showed it to me from an academic and educational light. And this really pioneered my interest and love for bones. So I began working with skeletal articulations. You know, and very on, people were like, oh, this is creepy, you must be obsessed with death. And it was actually quite the opposite. My classical uh, training is in industrial design. So I've always been curious about the structure and the design behind the skeletal system. So I very early on from this inspiration that my father gave me, started collecting and working with animal bones, and then later in my career pivoted to human osteology. But ever since the age of 13, I'd always been fascinated with the skeletal system. Was there anything that challenged you right uh, off the bat, right in the beginning, where you felt like, wow, this is, this is a little harder than I thought? Well, I think uh, the challenge was Herculean mm -hmm. because it's not necessarily about the bones itself, but the story we want to tell. Mm -hmm. As you come to learn about the exhibit, uh, it takes you through the trade chronologically, as you'll see uh, throughout the tour, but it really introduces how did this start? Why did these bones exist? all the way to the modern era of how they were being used to the subsequent embargoes and bans and collapse of this industry. So we wanted clients to come in to really get a you know, hundred years of history in their journey at the museum. So the exhibit design, flow, retention, and just general display, we wanted to tell that story. So we got the keys October 3rd for the new space and we had the opening October 30th was our grand opening. So in 27 days, my team worked round the clock from 9 a.m. till 3 in the morning every day. Uh, we, built, we built all the cases from scratch because they couldn't be uh, brought in. They had to be assembled inside. Um, and we moved the entire collection by hand. So we individually brought every single piece uh, by hand into the museum because they were too fragile to be packed. So what is one thing that you feel, you know, supporters and visitors of the Boom Museum should know about the museum and maybe you and your team that they might not be aware of? Obviously, that's not like public information. You know, I wouldn't necessarily say they need to know anything, but I would say as long as they have an open mind, um, what we like to do at the museum is present the facts. You know, we show the history, we show some of the injustices that happened and some of the challenges and controversies behind the trade. But we really want to make we really want people to make their own informed decisions. You know, we get everyone from orthopedic surgeons to high school students. So the way that each individual reacts to the museum, everything relating to human remains is sensitive. Mm -hmm. So we want to be as transparent, but also as uh, open to different opinions and different perspectives as possible. Really, we want 
the museum to be a conversation piece. So people can come in. Uh, we had one guy on uh, Veterans Day come in and he's just said, I want to contemplate life for a bit and sit with the bones. So really, um, we don't want to set a narrative. We want to just present the facts and let people be um, and form their own opinions. Okay. How can, how can people, you know, support the, the Bone Museum? I mean, obviously by visiting and, and things like that, but in larger ways is, you know, how, how do you think, how could people support you, whether it's financial or beyond that? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, we are working on a couple of public programs. So if our patrons come in, they can find monthly programs that allow them to come in. We're going to have a forensic night, a drawing night. So these are monthly and quarterly programs that we're looking at implementing into the museum. We're also looking at implementing a membership program. Uh, it's $30 a month. And once you have a membership, you can bring up to one guest a month and you can come as many times as you would like. This is on a reoccurring subscription. So people that really love the museum and love coming down on a regular basis can do that. And that helps support the museum. The last thing is we always believed in accessibility. In our gift shop, we sell a myriad of books that are not for sale in the U.S. So these are bone books that are only available in Europe that we've exclusively shipped down to have available at the museum. So just buying T-shirts and merch really supports uh, the space. Uh, and then, of course, first and foremost, coming to see the exhibit and telling their friends about it. Sure. I'm assuming you, you attract people who are maybe horror fans or people who might come in here with a completely different perspective on, on this than, mm-hmm. than you have, which is, you know, more scientific, more design oriented, more, you know, engineering oriented or whatever else. How do you kind of bridge that? Do you feel like it doesn't matter? I mean, I'm just curious well, what your thoughts about that. I believe that, you know, you can't cherry pick the public. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the whole goal was to be open to the public. So we invite everyone in from uh, varying uh, differences and backgrounds. Um, interestingly enough, a lot of our guests that come into the museum are just everyday uh, people. A lot of them don't have backgrounds in health, uh, science, medicine, or osteology or forensic anthropology. Um, the majority of people we get in just genuinely were curious or, you know, Googled museum in the area and wanted to come see the space. But, you know, I would say only two of them exclusively, I would say two out of 10 would fit in that demographic that you kind of describe. But really, um, it's just varying degrees of expertise. Some people come in and they already know what's here. They know what they want to see. Other people come in and we're starting from scratch on their knowledge. So really, it just gives us a, a case by case challenge of working with each individual client. If there's anything that I've missed or anything that you'd like to tell me about yourself or the museum. Sure. In the museum currently, we're housed over 13 real uh, articulated skeletons. We have over 100 real skulls as well as skulls with varying pathologies and abnormalities for individuals to be able to come and learn. Um, We really invite everyone from differing age groups uh, all the way from middle school to college level to come down to see the collection. Our, our One of our big goals right now is to uh, do more outreach to universities. We really want medical students to get in here to learn more about the collection and to more, learn more about these pieces. Uh, you know, it's not, it's not mine. These pieces should be appreciated and studied by universities and academia from all over the world. So really just getting and uh, improving the reputation of the museum and to get more patrons in to come and support the space is really our next goal, too. To learn more, you can visit the Bone Museum located at 255 McKibben Street in Bushwick. It's open Wednesday to Sunday from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. You can also reach them at 914-230-0937 or by visiting johnsbones.com. That's all for today. 
Thanks for listening and thanks for supporting us as we do our best to support our community. We couldn't do it without you. For more stories like this, make sure to subscribe to our newsletter at epicenter-nyc.com. Our intro music is All the Pretty Horses by Caravica. You can find more of their music on their website linked to in our podcast description.